Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we love kids, we love children, we think that they're great, and they're not annoying at all, and they don't cause our dogs to bark really loudly in the background um, at all, any time. Uh, I am Lauren Bruce Brooks. Hi, Karen. Hi. I love how on cue Ribbon is this morning. That's great. Nice. It's just <laughs> been, I, I mean, I apologize. I don't think there's, it's going to be difficult to stop him because I think that the um, the exterminator also should be doing his rounds at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there are a number, several small children on my floor, some of whom really yeah. like riding their scooters up and down the hallway, which is fine, except it drives my dog insane. And also they like ramming into the wall that is directly opposite where my apartment door is so oh dear that's fun it's fun it's mm-hmm. great how are you karen uh i'm great i'm great it's <laughs> you know beautiful morning it's I, I think i don't know i haven't really gotten up yet so <laughs> uh, it's been a long week how is it that short weeks are the longest weeks uh i think it's because you wouldn't you're... know because your jerk boss doesn't give you labor day off but <laughs> i do i do get a three-day weekend though every oh, week good. so <laughs> so it's more like i didn't get a four-day weekend this time around which kind got of pissed it. me off but uh um i know i think it's, some of it is coming off of like a vacation you feel like oh i've had this like extra day and everything and then you're like why do i have to do work now that's stupid <laughs> that's a bad yeah. idea who invented yeah. this right like well first of all i think every weekend should be a three-day weekend really i think every day every weekend should be a four-day weekend and we should just do three-day work weeks but that's just me apparently (sighs) anyway i'm fine how are you (laughs) uh other than the fact that it is like a fucking sauna here in new york city and not in like a good way in like a very dirty and uncomfortable way Hmm. um i'm fine doing good uh looking looking forward to having this this chat today uh this is a we're going to talk about a director that i've never really thought of particularly but she is very important and so we're we're going to have a a conversation about um some of her back to school films because it is september and the kids are going back to school i assume uh i don't know there's That does mean that there will be less children in the hallways on weekdays, which is nice. It does mean that. Now, here in California, kids have been going back to school since like the beginning of August. But uh, I don't know. The rest of the country, they're still, I think, mostly doing it right. (laughs) Just like we go to school in September. That's that's wild to me. When do California kids get off of school? May. Okay, well, that makes sense. I mean, I know that in New York, it gets pushed into june i i think it, I, there have been times where it's been pushed into july depending upon snow days and stuff like that yeah yeah we don't really ever have those um and 
Yeah, they they never there's there's been like one or two times in the last, I don't know, 20 years where they've had to add a day or two on to the end of the school year um, because of weather. But uh, mostly we don't have that problem here. Um, But yeah, it's like schools there used to be it used to be just standard like everywhere here. Everybody went back to school the day after Labor Day. It just was just how it was. And then you went to school through the middle of June. And then at some point, well, first of all, they were doing year round school and they would have different tracks because some schools were so overcrowded. And so then they would have like, you know, you'd have maybe you'd have your your summer vacation, so to speak, like in December and January or, or whatever. So they had that. And then it's just kind of over time has migrated. So now all the school districts start at all different times. Sometimes they'll start like on a Thursday, which is really weird. I don't understand that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they start going back to school. A lot of districts start like the first or second week of August. And there's still a couple that don't start until September, but it's really rare. And, uh, and it's also terrible because it's still so blazing hot in august and we do have schools that don't have ac and and uh so it's just miserable for kids and teachers but i know they have reasons for it i don't agree with the reasons but yeah here we are so 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 we're gonna talk about back to school um let's do before we get into that, I just wanted to mention really quickly, it was funny because last week we were talking about how isn't it nice that we no longer talk about garbage people <laughs> consistently on this podcast. We do mention them every once in a while, like the fact that Harvey Weinstein is a rapist. Um, and we could also now say that about Danny Masterson, who has been <laughs> sentenced to 30 years to life um, for for rape, for uh, he's it, it's it's two women who um who accused him and this is basically the maximum penalty that has been allowed for yeah. uh for for this so like he he could have been sentenced to more um but they're not going to do that because it's li- they literally can't um but this this is a really i think this is really fan- i mean I, I never want to say it's a fantastic thing it's a it's a good thing that someone is is being punished for this there's been a preponderance of evidence against Basterson. Like it, it would have been shocking um, mm-hmm. to see him not sentenced, but this is like a pretty hefty, hefty sentence. And, um, and particularly interesting in, in view of the fact that uh, this was all also related to the church of Scientology and, you know, and you, you never want to draw too many big conclusions about it. Um, there, this could indicate that maybe the Scientology has definitely come under fire more so in the past like 10 years than it probably has ever. And there's been a lot more scrutiny on it. And so you do kind of wonder if maybe they're kind of cutting their losses or if they just do not have the same degree of power that they used to. Um, but so regardless, Danny Masterson's going to go to jail, which is wonderful. We are glad of that. Yeah, this is the type of of story we would like to talk about when we're talking about garbage people is not like, hey, this person we just found out did a bunch of stuff. It's like, no, this person's being held accountable for the stuff that they have done that we've known Mm -hmm. about for a long time. And it's good to see uh, finally some justice in that case, because I mean, it's been this has been a long time coming. Um, these, these accusations first came out a couple of years ago. There was a trial that ended in a mistrial and then they moved forward there. I think there were two other accusers originally that um, mm-hmm. ended up like they weren't able to 
to file charges against him for those. But, um, but yeah, this, it really does feel like, you know, a little bit of a sigh of relief that, uh, you know, when it's so, it's so in, in general, especially like, even if you take out a very powerful religious organization, uh, it's so impossible to get convictions against people in, in rape crimes and other, other, um, sexual violent crimes. So when we get to see someone going away for 30 years, getting the maximum sentence, it really does feel like, like, okay, you know, between this, between Weinstein, it's like that we see that there it's possible and we just have to keep fighting. For justice, yeah. you know. Yeah, and and I think that the so one of the articles um that I was reading about this actually came from the BBC and it mentioned the fact that Scientology was very like the issue of Scientology was very heavily involved in the case. So mm-hmm. the judge allowed for both sides to argue about Scientologist dogma, about practices of Scientology, things like that, because Masterson and the the women who accused him are all members of the Church of Scientology. And so it's interesting because this is this is a case where Scientology has been very much front and center. Um, It hasn't just been Masterson, who happens to be a Scientologist. It's been part and parcel of the Church of Scientology, as they call themselves. Yeah, which is why they've been so involved, because Mm -hmm. this stands to make them look really bad. And the biggest thing we know about Scientology is that they care very much about appearances and uh and perception and uh so that's why they fought so hard and that's where it's like i look at this and mm-hmm. i wonder i don't know if this is a sign him getting convicted in the first place let alone getting sentenced i don't know if it's a sign of their po- their power waning a little bit or if they like you said if they're just cutting their losses if they just decided you know what it's not or he's not someone that we're worth is worth fighting over and just kind of gave up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, it has definitely brought more scrutiny on them, and they've been pretty heavily scrutinized for the past, you know, at least the, the past 10 years. Yeah, it's when um, the first documentary Going Clear came yeah. out. I mean, that wasn't the first, but, you know, that was a definitely a big one that really started to make people really think, okay, this isn't just some kooky religion. There's other stuff going on. Um, yeah. And to- then, yeah. To pay to pay much closer attention to to what was actually going on with the Church of Scientology and then mm-hmm. yeah like you say this was this wasn't just some weird California celebrity thing basically right. that, that there's actually a whole systematic abuse basically exactly and then Leah Remini and Mike Render show really mm-hmm. uh really drew a lot of of attention and that that was honestly where I really started to understand uh the scope of of what we're looking at here and oh yeah so so yeah so well uh, i will link the article about masterson but yeah he has been convicted and sentenced and we are happy about that we are it's a good thing step in the right direction bye-bye uh so speaking of stories about terrible men <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about some amy heckerling films and a lot of her films involve terrible men mm-hmm. surprisingly so and i think that's one of the things we should adjust uh well while we discuss this but actually the reason why we want to talk about amy heckerling is is that she has become she was made famous in a lot of ways uh for making these kind of coming of age films and particularly back to school high school college movies about 
sort of younger people in their teens and 20s trying to to navigate the world and fucking up massively as they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so so heckling has been in kind of like a, a been in the business since uh, the 1970s, really. She attended um, New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, my alma mater. Um, <laughs> I nice. went there for I went there for the academic side of uh, of film criticism. Not the did you know her? Side. I did not because <laughs> I went there in two thousand nine, <laughs> two thousand eight, two thousand eight. Sorry. Uh, so you're so, so young. Yeah. And and one of one of the things that I was very amused by, um, and this was from an interview in uh, the the book Breaking In, how twenty film directors got their start. Um, in one of her uh, classes when she was at the High School of Art and Design in Manhattan, she noticed that a boy next to her had written about wanting to be a film director. And she said, quote, I was really annoyed because I thought that if an idiot like that guy could say he wanted to be a director, then so could I. And certainly I should be a director more than he should. <laughs> and that is why we love her. And that is why we're talking about her today. And and I love the fact that that, that, that is what got her on to like being, hey, if that idiot can be a director, I certainly can. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. I, I think that there's a healthy element of spite and mm-hmm. of like, oh, stupid men can do it. I Then I definitely can do it because I'm not a stupid man. Yep. And then what I love is that she went on and her first film ends up being something that, uh, I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but it definitely is a, a, a it's considered a classic 80s movie. And that was her very first one. Yeah. And it, and in a lot of ways, the classic 80s movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it has been treated as very much of a template for a lot of the 80s rom-coms, high school comedies, sex comedies, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. So the, the first one we want to talk about is Fast Times at Richmond High, which was released in 1982 and was directed by Heckerling. And also um, her and Cameron Crowe essentially wrote the the screenplay together. They worked out... Um, some of the the information based upon Crow's original book uh, released in 1981, also called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And this this is a film that is just, from the moment it starts, it is an 80s film. <laughs> like, it's so 80s. The soundtrack is 80s. You get the, the whole thing of like all of the different characters that we're going to follow throughout the movie, going into the mall, um, working at the pizza place, working at the cinema, uh, you know, checking out guys, checking out girls. And it's, and like, you've got a soundtrack that includes like the Go-Go's and I'm trying to think of who else is on everybody. Um, and it's, it's just a very 1980s film. So to start out with Karen, uh, mm-hmm. was this what the eighties were like? Can you, can you- <laughs> Um, I was not born in 1982. I'm going to say that right now. (laughs) Well, I want to first clarify that I did not see this in the theater when it came out because I was still a tiny child. (laughs) um, But, you know, it's so funny because I um, no, this is an exaggeration of what the 80s were like. But there are certain things where, you know, like um, like uh, I follow a few Gen X 
people on TikTok and stuff and they'll they'll talk about like crazy things that that we used to just do in the 80s or the way the world just used to be and I'm always like was that an exaggeration like were my parents around more than I remember <laughs> and then I'll watch a movie like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and there's no parents around I'm like no they really were like just not there <laughs> like I don't well, know where our parents were but they were gone <laughs> Well, there does seem to be that because like so you've got this entire cast of people who are you know all supposed to be teenagers most of them most of the actors are actually in like their their 20s right yeah but they're all supposed to be teenagers and yeah there is like as as i think we discussed a bit in in heathers when we talked about heathers uh there are (laughs) there are no parents Mm -hmm. there are no adults like the adults that there are are the teachers and they are like completely checked out in a multitude of ways right um so you've got these kids got like i mean one of the more distressing scenes for me in the entire film is where the 15 year old girl sneaks out of of her house to go on a date with a 26 year old man Mm -hmm. and lose her virginity and it's like i have so many questions about this and yeah it is an exaggeration and i think that it is about like i i think that no matter what generation you're from there is a distance from your parents when you're a teenager um you have this entire life a lot of which revolves around school and and all of these different social relationships and social issues and this kind of thing about getting older being being in high school wanting to be treated as an adult but also not really being an adult all of those different things um and and so yeah there's this absence of the adult world despite the fact that all of these kids are trying to be adults they're trying they're like i i know you know the the one guy who is um you know so proud of his car the judge reinhold character is so proud of his car and is like proud of being a working man and he's and what he does is he he flips burgers at a local burger joint but he's a big man on campus because of this yeah yeah and like people want to hit him up for a job and stuff but yeah but i just wanted to go back to the the absence of parents really quickly mm-hmm. um and just because it does seem like yes i i totally agree with you every generation kind of has their like distance from their parents but it does seem like i really think this is true that there was a particular something that happened from like the mid 70s through the 80s where parents really were kind of <laughs> more checked out than other generations and experience like they just were doing their own thing they really weren't involved like i remember um they used to have i think it came on every night at like around 10 they would have like this this psa that would pop up it's 10 o'clock do you know where your children are and it was like not oh your kids are out like doing something bad you better go get them it was like no really like reminder you have kids like do you know where they are (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and and this film very much also references the fact that the mall was kind Mm -hmm. of like the the center of of you know outside of school was was one of the centers of social life right which was totally true and there there was even when i was growing up there was that attitude of like the mall was almost like not a babysitter i i won't i won't say that but it was a place that you could safely drop your kids off at and they would Mm -hmm. be fine they would go to the arcade they would go to the movie theater they would go eat you know whatever and and then you would pick them up at the mall a couple of hours later yeah um like that like i even did that when when i was when i was growing up particularly in in the aughts right so it was still that kind of center of a space that you can go to to be with people your age without parental supervision that also wasn't school 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and so this, and this film really like kind of enforces that, that this is a, a world in which these kids can kind of occupy this space that is an adult world, but also isn't an adult world. It's kind of their own space. Right. But as far as like the, the things that have the storyline elements to it, um, you know, certain things like that, it's very much exaggerated. The, the, yeah. the teachers, all of that, like it's an exaggerated view of the eighties, but it's also not entirely untrue or incorrect <laughs> or or misrepresenting the 80s at all so to answer your question uh kind of yeah that was what the <laughs> 80s were like this is exactly what the 80s were like uh well and for anyone who has like ever watched 80s movies this this stars like a huge spectrum of 80s stars so you've got mm-hmm. jennifer jason lee judge reinhold um uh phoebe cates <laughs> uh uh eric stoltz who is actually playing a very a very small part here forrest whitaker who is playing a very small part nicholas cage uh, who ends up like i don't even know if he has any lines i think because some of his stuff got cut <laughs> yes yes i you know i noticed at the end because it, it credited him as like nicholas coppola Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nicola, little Nicky Coppola is in this. I missed him. Yeah, apparently he's in. Um, he's in one of the scenes in the the burger joint that he. Oh, you like didn't see of, him? I I missed him completely. Oh. I did not notice him. I'm gonna have to go back and look. Yeah, he works with Brad. So, but it's yeah. I don't like. I said I don't even think he ends up with any lines. I think everything that he was supposed to do originally got cut. So. Little little baby Nicholas Coppola. Yeah. Back Ray before Walston he was is, Nick Cage. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Ray Walston is a teacher, Vincent Chev- Chevelli. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a great cast. It it is it is a really fascinating cast, but um I think one of the things that that makes this film known in some ways is is of course Sean Penn as Bacoli. Uh mm-hmm. and this this is one of his earliest roles, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely the 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 role that kind of launched him. And it's interesting to to look at that role as being the role that launched him into stardom, given that he never really played those kinds of characters after that. He is this, you know, stoner surfer guy who just kind of muddles his way through existence. And and he is iconic. Like watching him, you're just like, I don't know what this guy's on, but he's he's having a great time. Like he's mm-hmm. he's just get making his way through but so much of this film is about these kids basically muddling their way through and because of the lack of adult supervision (laughs) well and and i think yeah because of the lack of adult supervision there's definitely no guidance right no one is there being but also what i have to say when you're 16 17 years old you don't really believe in guidance right uh i i do remember being like 17 years old and being absolutely convinced that i knew everything um no one could tell me anything no one could like explain to me and i i was i was a good kid i wasn't going out really late at night or getting drunk or anything like that but i did not believe that anybody could tell me anything about anything that i didn't already know when i was 17 yeah and it's like that's not no you're an idiot when you're 17 basically but i think that 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 this film really gets at that gets at that like like you said, the performance of adulthood and attempting to particularly figure out, particularly when it comes to relationships, um, sexuality, like what you actually want and the way that people posture about it and pretend that they're more experienced that they than they are or pretend that they understand the way that the world works more than they actually do. Yeah, I want to 
I want to talk a little bit about Sean Penn's character for a minute, yeah. though, um, because I think it's so interesting. He is kind of he is looked at from the beginning as this burnout who's just getting really, really stoned in his in his VW bus. Um, but it's interesting because when when we first really meet him, it's, you know, showing up the first day of class. He gets to class late and the teacher has locked the door, which is definitely, I don't know if teachers still do that, but uh, that's definitely something that used to happen in my high school. And, um, and uh, when the, when the teacher Ray Walston does let him in, um, gives him this whole lecture about being late and everything and rips up his, his schedule, just ripped up his schedule. Like, why does he do that? He's just, like he's just being an asshole and if you watch sean penn in that moment like as spicoli he he's a little crushed he's like he 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 showed up to class you know like yeah he's he's mm-hmm. he's this like you know he's not taking things seriously in life but but he showed up and his teacher just like ridicules him in front of everybody rips up his schedule has no respect for him and and just embarrasses him and there's this moment where you can really see like he he's kind of he's crushed and after that he decides to just react you know retaliate and just do all kinds of crazy things to get at his teacher for this and to not take it seriously and and uh, i i think it's such a i i think it's a more nuanced character than mm-hmm. people like to look at it as you know i i think we you know we met we remember the the pizza delivery which is funny but we don't remember really why he does those things and escalates it throughout the throughout the school year uh, and it all starts with this moment where he is actually emotionally impacted by what this teacher does and and i think that that matters and then at the end of the movie when you know it's like the 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 end of they don't call it the prom i don't think they just call it like a dance but uh, when the teacher shows up at his house and is like, you wasted this many hours of my year. So now I'm going to waste your time. So you can't go to the dance and starts quizzing him basically on, on history. And we don't like, it doesn't get really pointed out, but Spicoli actually knows a lot more of the history uh-huh. that he's been taught than the teacher, I think expected. And so when Mr. Hand is like, well, I think I've made my point. It's like, what point did you really make? Because he actually <laughs> remembered and retained a lot more than you expected or, or that you ever would have believed he would have. And you don't acknowledge that. I, yeah, I think that they that that relationship, the Mr. Hand and Spicoli actually has a really interesting art. Mm-hmm. And and it does. And I do think that that in that moment and we get a little bit of him like kind of talking about Thomas Jefferson. Right. Yeah. And about what Jefferson did. And you get this moment between the two of them where it's like they are two com- so completely different people who have a completely different understanding of the world around them. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this moment where they're kind of meeting at a point where just like I I get I get it. And the other's like, I get it, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so there is this moment and I do think I think that it's yeah it's very much both Sean Penn's performance and also uh Ray Walston's performance that there's a meeting there between the two of them that is very interesting and it doesn't go further than that like it's not like oh actually you're a smart kid right um but there's an understanding I think that that develops particularly by the time you get to that point and so it's it's really interesting they just have very different values mm-hmm. 
Um, but but going back to that that scene where he tears up his schedule, I I absolutely agree with you. There's also this this attitude of like the violence that yeah. the older generation does to kids by not paying attention to them, by not mm-hmm. thinking them uh, uh, thinking of them as people. And I do think that that's one of the things that is, that actually in in a certain sense runs through all of the three films that we're going to talk about. Um, is not just the way that these kids are kind of trying to be adults but the the cruelty of the adult world in relationship to them not necessarily in relationship to other adults because we don't see that a lot but the the way that the adults dismiss belittle are just kind of casually dismissive at best mm-hmm. of these kids who are struggling who are trying really hard to you know figure out who they are and what they want to do and um, you know, so the the scene where Judge Reinhold is, you know, talking with the irate customer who is asking for his money back and then he ends up getting fired. Um, it's it's the same thing. It's just like that unfairness of adulthood right. and the unfairness with which grownups, as it were, te- treat these teenagers that at the same time they're expecting to behave as grownups. Um mm-hmm. And so that kind of casual cruelty, I think it really comes through in particularly in that scene that you're talking about and in the scene in the in the burger joint. Um, yeah. And it's something that runs throughout the entire the entire film. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like sexuality, which is one of the major things <laughs> featured in in this film. And per- again, particularly about that whole performance aspect of it, that everybody talking like they're experts when they're quite obviously not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's most prevalent, uh, particularly with um, Mike Damone. Yeah, who is who. I so this was the first time I actually had seen uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I thought I'd seen it, but I realized like ten minutes ago, I was like, I have not seen this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mike is one of those characters that, like, I think more so than almost any other character in this film, is like I I knew that guy. He is that guy who is just no. He's like I'm a ladies' man. I know everything. I know everything about everything. It's just like you know shit. Mm-hmm. Like you just pretend. It's it's this performance. Um, and then, and then of course it turns, it turns progressively worse and more serious and more complicated, but so much about this film, this, it's very much a sex comedy in a certain sense, but it also deals with things like abortion, like, you know, virginity and X and then the expectations of other people and the way that you are expected to perform for other people, for other teenagers in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as as like the issue of abortion, one of the things that I had forgotten about, because it's been a while since I've seen this, but I had forgotten how um, how uh, casually I think it's treated Um, like. I mean, when when Stacy comes and tells Mike, um, yeah, I'm pregnant, and he's just like, okay, well, you should get an abortion. She's like, yeah, I'm already doing that, but can you pay for part of it and give me a ride? Like, it's not a major, you know, it's not a major debate. She's not like wrestling with this decision. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is what's going to happen, and then she ends up having to do it alone. Um, but then her brother's there, and he knows what happened, and he doesn't he doesn't give her a hard time about it. It's just kind of like, all right, well, let's go get some some dinner you know or whatever and (laughs) and um and i think especially for this time period the fact that that wasn't like a major 
like it's a it's an important plot point but it's not like a an, a philosophical argument at any point it's just like yeah okay and then this is what happens next you know yeah yeah and i really like the scene between stacy and uh and brad because she doesn't mm-hmm. tell him what she's doing and there there is that element of shame though that she yeah. kind of has she has to pretend so mike doesn't show up to to give her a ride um so she has to get brad to take her but she doesn't want to tell him where she's actually going and then he sees her he sees her crossing the street right and and he's just bowling alley and then yeah yeah and and he's just and then he's just there when she comes out and if he doesn't make a big deal out of it he doesn't say like you know how dare you not tell me or anything like that he's just like since when did you go bowling (laughs) right he doesn't even um, demand that she like tell him who it was or or so that like so that he can be big brother and like go avenge her or anything like that it's just like okay all right let's just you know (laughs) let's just move on but it's not in a like let's pretend this never happened way either yeah it's it's he he meets her at the point that she needs to be at and so like i you do get the impression that if she wanted to say more he would be there to listen to her Yep. Um, but he's not going to pressure her to to talk about it or to reveal anything, uh, anything that she doesn't actually want to do. And it's really a very sweet moment. Um, yeah. And so, so much of this film really is about these these characters fulfilling stereotypes to a certain degree and then undercutting those stereotypes and actually kind of revealing what's underneath that. Because, again, I think that that is one of the major aspects of high school. You pretend to be someone. You, you pretend to fill a particular role but you're also a person right and underneath posturing and underneath all of the the pretend there is like this this reality that's going on and all of these characters reveal that reality at some level while still maintaining kind of their aspects of you know i'm the stoner guy i'm the i'm the big man on campus i'm the ditzy girl all of those things yeah yeah um should we talk about phoebe cates we talk about Phoebe Cates. What are your thoughts on Phoebe Cates? Because <laughs> I do think it's a bit funny that Phoebe Cates now is like married to Kate Klein. That's all that I could think of the entire time. <laughs> I know. And that she kind of like just retired from acting at a certain point. And, um, and she became, beca- largely because of this movie, she became like a big sex symbol of the 80s. And, um, and it's interesting because I think that her character her character is kind of a funny one because she is one that's always like, you know, Oh, I have all this experience here. Stacy, I'll teach you how to do blowjobs or whatever. And then there's this, it's like, she's always referencing this fiance in Chicago. And there's this, like, he probably isn't real, <laughs> but then at the end, she has this like <laughs> letter from him where he's not coming to graduation. It's like, wait, she's crying real tears. Like, <laughs> is there a boy in Chicago? I don't really know. Like, so her character is interesting, but, um, but yeah, it's very much a, a sex, like a hypersexualized character. It's a lot like, um, I think there was some inspiration for it uh, in Mina Suvari's character in American beauty and some others that we've mm-hmm. seen, you know, over the years, but, um, but yeah, this girl who, who is young, uh, who probably developed very early, um all the boys look at her she's beautiful um and and she she does uh present herself as being much more um experienced than she very likely is although it's never confirmed either way yeah it's it's never confirmed but again it's very much that part of the high school experience of someone 
you, you're kind of like, is this true? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is this, is any of this accurate? Or are you literally just trying to kind of seem like you're, you're more experienced, you're more grown up, you're more mature than you actually are. Right. Um, and, and of course, in, in a certain sense, it's also the way that people then get, get targeted and get abused and are mistreated, particularly women by, by pretending to be older than you are, by pretending to be more mature, when you're really not ready for some of the things that you think you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things, just to go back to Stacy's character too, that's one of the things that's interesting about her. She lies about her age with this older guy who comes in, this 26-year-old, goes on a date with him, does some you know sexual things with him. I don't know if they go all the way or not. Um, and and there's and then it's just like never comes up again he never calls her and then that's just kind of it and um and so it's 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 an interesting situation because that doesn't end up becoming like the main plot it's it's other things that happen later to her Mm -hmm. but um but yeah so with phoebe kate i mean honestly like making up a boyfriend in chicago is a smart way to keep all the icky high school boys away from you True. <laughs> but I, I like the place that particularly Stacy ends up where she's she decides like and, and she has a line very near the end of the film also where she says anybody can have sex. I want an actual relationship. So throughout mm-hmm. this, this entire thing, it's been about like, oh, you've got you've got to lose your virginity. You've got to, you know, know how to how to give a blowjob, all of that stuff. And she basically comes to the conclusion of like, I really like this nerdy guy who works at the cinema and I would rather go out with him and not sleep together Mm -hmm. than go out with all of these douchebags. Exactly. Yeah. And so you get that title card at the end that's like, yeah, they've been in a relationship for two years and they still haven't gone all the way, (laughs) (laughs) which is so cute. It is. It is. It is very cute, but it is, it is definitely one of the most eighties of eighties films so um, overall, I'm curious because yeah. this was your first time seeing it and you had a lot of impressions because you thought you'd seen it before. But overall, what did you think of the movie? I thought it was I, you know, I'm I'm always a little uncomfortable with some of these sex comedies. Um, and some of it is because you're talking about people that are supposed to be 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And they're doing things that are just like that. You are not ready for that. You stop that right now. That is <laughs> yeah. inappropriate. I will uh, be your parents <laughs> since your parents aren't here. <laughs> Um, but I I did like this. I I liked the fact that there was a lot more underlying the characters than I think ap- appears on on the surface, mm-hmm. and and actually I think that that's something that runs through a lot of of Heckerling's films about these characters who seem like I said who seem almost tropes or stereotypes to start out with, and then as the film proceeds and you get to know them better and you get to see the way they interact with with each other and how they grow and how they change you realize just like, yeah, these are types. They're types that you know. They're types that existed in my high school in one way or another. But they're also people and they're going through their own shit and they're fucking up in the Mm -hmm. way that you do fuck up when you're 17 years old, in the way that you fuck up when you're 35 years old, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that this film in particular really does get at that. And and like you say, I, I think, you know, when it comes to someone like Spicoli, but even when it comes to the entire film, there's an attitude that, you know, this film is a particular thing. And it actually is is more than that. It's mm-hmm. more than just this 80s teen comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you liked it. Um, so, yes, I did wind up liking it a great deal. And uh 
And speaking of films that are very much in <laughs> in their time period, so fast forward about about more than a decade actually, and we get to Clueless. If which fast is, times at Ridgemont High is a is the eighties movie. Clueless is in many ways is the nineties. One hundred percent and. And again, did not, I wasn't in high school in the nineties, but also I was aware enough that I was like, yep, I know exactly what this is. In fact, I remember, I remember girls in my school beginning to talk like Alicia Silverstone in mm-hmm. Clueless and me just being like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> like, we are definitely not Valley Girls. I, uh, we are living upstate New York. What is happening here? It was just like, it was this particular cadence of like speech. I was just like, you're, are you? Why are you talking that way? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Clueless, which is a 1995 um, coming of age story starring, starring Alicia Silverstone and uh, Brittany Murphy, Stacey Dash, Paul Rudd, uh, and is is actually an adaptation of Emma, which I always think is very humorous, mm-hmm. um, but set in a a Southern California high school, um, and and again, you know, following along with some of the some some of the things we talked about with Richmond High, very much you know an appropriate story in a lot of ways for high school because it's about kids thinking they know everything and really not knowing anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so true. Uh, so where do we want to start with this? What What are your feelings about Clueless, Karen? I love Clueless. I had already graduated from high school when this came out. So like my entire high school or my entire school education existed somewhere between Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless. But <laughs> so I was in college, but um, but barely. And, um, I, I don't know, like, I remember seeing Clueless multiple times in the theater. It's so funny and living in Southern California too, and really recognizing a lot of the places that they go and a lot of the, the people that they're talking about, like oh, the Valley, you know, and like, um, it, it really, it, it kind of lends something extra to it, but, um, it's, it's just such a, it's such a good adaptation of Jane Austen and like really understanding her story and translating that into the high school experience of again, kids who think they're much more grown up than they are kids who are, who are playing at being adults. Um, in this case, Cher's dad is actually there, but she kind of has to parent him. Um, and th- there's like, at some point, once the parents started to get more like be more present in their kids' lives, like there was a role reversal too. And I think it captures that really well. Um, yeah. And like, it's the music and fashion are so 1995 and they, but yet like, there's this time, like not timelessness to it, but there's just this like when you go back and watch it now, it, it's just fun to to kind of open this time capsule and and uh, relive this very particular time in this very particular place. Well, and and that's the thing. I think that all three of these films make use of the fashion, the music, the the, the speech patterns. Like, and it's interesting because you know, Fast Times at Richmond High was so influential on later films. So was Clueless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like I said, you know, Clueless was suddenly there were a bunch of girls in my middle school who were talking like or 
my elementary school actually who are talking like Alicia Silverstone and I'm like <laughs> and and again so it's like that influence that these that these films actually had but then also the fact that they're representing this time period very specifically um and yeah. location very very specifically and very like I guess truly and and in some ways you kind of look back on it you go like man that was that was a time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but they are still relatable and so it comes back to this this sensation of like I think that heckling is very good at capturing in these films at capturing the experience of being young and yeah. of and at the same time it's, it's a very specific time and it's very universal so you know this is an adaptation of an 1815 novel that is set in 1990s California and is still relatable to someone existing in, in 2023. Um, And, and I, I think that Heckerling does a really, a really good job at kind of understanding again, those elements that underlie character types. And so you get a character like Cher who you sort of just you can sort of dismiss at the beginning it's just like oh she's rich she's into fashion she's kind of a bubbly and possibly a little bit dumb but she's not dumb at all <laughs> right she's uh, not dumb but she also is a little bit uh clueless in in multiple ways not just in in love but you know like she just kind of floats along through life things just work out for her she's able to successfully negotiate higher grades um you know if she hits a car she's just like you know like just, <laughs> she's she's a girl who's used to just getting away with shit yeah and through over the course over the course of the film it becomes clearer that like that can be dangerous and that can be bad mm-hmm. and that can really affect other people's lives and that's part right. of what she has to learn right um you know so the way that she essentially <laughs> manipulates uh what's her name ty the Brit- the britney murphy character of like i'm gonna teach you how to like get guys i'm gonna teach you how to be popular mm-hmm. and it's like leave her alone yeah. <laughs> like basically i'm gonna teach you how to be me yeah and 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 to to give her credit she's trying to help as far as she is concerned um and it it is all coming from a very good place but it's ultimately damaging it's damaging to other people it's damaging to ty it's damaging to um it's damaging to herself and it's something that she has to like come to terms with ultimately when it's shown to her that like you're not helping you know you're not making this easier for other people you're actually making it worse yeah well and it starts off where it does work like her first you know kind of makeover project is is the teacher miss geist Mm -hmm. and then she's able to successfully kind of smush miss geist and mr hall into a relationship which by the end they're getting married and so it's like her first her first attempt at this works and so being you know 15 16 years old that kind of gives her that sense of like i'm really good at this i can do this with everybody so when ty comes along it's like you know she's already been successful at this so she doesn't really understand that that was a special case, you know, and, and, <laughs> um, and that she was dealing with something that she was also able to observe from a distance. She wasn't part of that relationship, but mm-hmm. when, when she's now doing this with a friend and trying to convert her friend over to be this version of herself, and it's not in a mean spirited way, but, um, but she doesn't understand that like, she's basically stripping her friend of who she is or trying to Mm -hmm. 
and um and also causing a lot of confusion because these are all still teenage girls that have a lot of confused emotions that they don't even understand you know and and uh, when you start playing with that it gets very difficult very fast <laughs> well yeah exactly it it come it comes back to that you know whole thing you're 17 and you think you know everything mm-hmm. um and and part of the growing up that happens for for share in particular is realizing that no you don't know everything and in fact you're missing a lot of things yeah you're not noticing a lot of things you're you know you're you're not a grown-up yet Right. Um, and, and that's, that's part of what, you know, growing up is. And again, it, it comes back to something similar to Ridgemont Hive, like those, the performances, we're going to put on different outfits, we're going to put on different voices, um, different kinds of behavior that we think we're supposed to do as, you know, as a teenager. And, you know, real at that point, you don't really know who you are and what that means or who other people are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and how you should actually deal with that. And for Cher, when she gets to a point where she finally um, starts to just accept her friends, the people that are around her without trying to change them, uh, when she you know shows up at the, the skateboarding competition um, and sits with Ty and they kind of make up when she decides to, you know, spend time with with Christian and learn more about the things that are interesting to him, even though he's never going to be interested in her because he's gay. Um, you know, when she starts doing those things, then it, it does help her become a, a, a emotionally and mentally richer, uh, you know, intellectually mm-hmm. richer person um, because she's she's embracing the individuality of the people around her. Yes, that is really well put. I agree with okay. that. Um, what? Well, in in leading into, I think, the next one, let's talk a little bit about this, the representation of these relationships between older men and younger women. Yeah. Um, Because one of the the issues in uh, in Clueless, and some of this is is partially a result (laughs) of the the fact that it's a Jane Austen adaptation. Right. Um, Right. But even I think that Emma in Jane Austen is supposed to be like 19. Cher is supposed to be 17, I believe. She turns 16 in the movie. She, she turns 16. She's 15. Okay. She turns 16, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so the, there's this relationship that develops or this relationship that kind of comes to fruition, I guess. Right, yeah. Between her and her stepbrother. Ex-stepbrother. <laughs> Ex-stepbrother, Josh. <laughs> uh, who's the, the Mr. Knightley character. And... And again, I think that some of this is is because it's being pulled from Jane Austen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've got this guy who's related, but not really related, who's close to the family, who's close to her father, et cetera, but isn't actually like her brother, um, but with whom she's had this kind of more sibling, very close sibling relationship. Right. And it develops increasingly that like she actually has feelings for him and, and he actually has feelings for her, which is OK. But there is an ick factor. Mm hmm. Um, and, and even like, I, I think that this is one of those things that probably when I saw the film for the first time, it didn't click for me, but <laughs> now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, you've done an end run around some issues here. <laughs> like some of this is just not okay. Because first of all, she's underage, mm-hmm. uh, which is always a consideration and and it it is it's a sweet relationship like i think that they both play it very well um but you do kind of it's one of those that just raises 
red flags a little bit. Just like he's supposed to be in grad school, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's interested in his 16-year-old high school stepsister who's not really his stepsister anymore. There's there's just something that is very, this is a little uncomfortable about it. And you kind of have to close one eye as you're watching the film. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because it's played off as very like, yeah, this is this is the relationship that we've been building toward for the whole movie. But I, I think I I don't want to like make assumptions about Amy Heckerling. I I don't know if she has said this anywhere. I haven't actually researched it, but I feel like it kind of got a little bit away from her. I don't think that she intended it not either. Either she intended it not to be creepy at all, or she did intend for it to be clear that it was a little bit creepy. And I'm not Mm. sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not sure which it is i mean the creep factor would be toned down a little bit if one share was a little bit older mm-hmm. so if, she, if i didn't realize she was 16 i always assumed she was like 17 going on 18 mm-hmm. um and also if josh was a little bit younger right yeah if they kind of were closer in age if he was maybe like early college instead of like going to law school uh, yeah on the verge of law school or whatever but yeah um but but there is a line at the end and this is where i'm like not really sure what heckerling's intentions were versus like what the audience actually receives um because there's a line at the end when you're at the wedding and and it's like after his share and um um what's his name paul rudd's character anyway after they've josh josh thank you after they've kissed and then shares voiceovers like you know what happened next and it goes to the wedding and then she's like, as if I'm 16 and this isn't Kentucky. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> there is a joke about it. <laughs> so, so it's like, if there's an awareness that this is fucking weird. But also it's like, <laughs> is there enough awareness? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just, I... I wish that there's, or in, in some ways, I, I wish that they, maybe they hadn't gone so far. That like, there was this tension between them that there's like this maybe like when mm-hmm. she's a little bit older and maybe they would still have the same feelings for each other but it's the fact that they push it far enough to like definitely imply that they have that they are going to have some kind of relationship whether or not that relationship is going to last right right yeah but there is still that like i said that ick factor that uh-huh. that like i'm not certain whether that's okay um, <laughs> right i mean legally it's not okay Uh, right legally it's very not okay um but i also do think that a lot of it is just the fact that this is based on jane austen and it's just like well we're gonna just do this and i i kind of feel like it's supposed to be icky (laughs) a little bit (laughs) well and and i think that this is a good segue into (laughs) into a film that i think has actually been unfairly maligned uh i and and i think that you agree with me on this karen like i just i just watched this film for the very first time yesterday and this is a film that that deals very directly with a uh an inappropriate and wrong relationship and makes it very clear that it is inappropriate and wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so this is the film loser from 2000 starring uh jason biggs mina savari and greg kinnear and i i give props to greg kinnear for making me want to punch his stupid face 
so badly. There's so many times where I was like yelling at the television. Oh, just shove him into traffic. Like, <laughs> I don't want to punch his face. I want to kick him in the gonads. He's just, I, I was just like, just talk, throw him in the swimming pool. No, push him into traffic. <laughs> like, just, just yes. pick it, like hit him, do something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, he's the worst. He's uh, the worst. He is, he is really the worst. So this is actually, it's, it's funny because I, I did not, uh, Pop this, but this is supposed to be a remake of The Apartment, um, start which starred Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray from back in from back in the nineteen sixties. Um, but so this is a story about uh, Paul Tannock, played by Jason Biggs, who is a kid from the Midwest and gets into a school in New York. I'm assuming that it's New York University because they keep showing Washington Square Park and the village. Um, but there are also some shots. I'm just like, are we sure? I don't think that this is NYU. Um, I don't know. I wasn't an undergrad at NYU. So there may be some things that I'm missing, but just there are times where I was like, I, I do not know where this is supposed to be taking place. I'm confused. Is there more than one university in New York? They're like, yes, many universities <laughs> in New York, actually. There is only one university that is centered around uh, Washington Square Park. So. I'm totally joking. It's just, you know, it's like every movie that's set in New York it, that people are going to school, they're going to NYU. <laughs> well, no, they're going to Columbia as well. Eh, sometimes that's just uptown. But usually it's, it's like, like if it, like NYU is the default New York school because that's outside of outside of new york the only new york schools that anybody knows about are nyu and columbia <laughs> true <laughs> well this is definitely not cuny this is not like uh this isn't <laughs> one of one of the borough schools or anything like that um so yeah I, i'm assuming that it's that it's nyu i have questions uh <laughs> and and well well at nyu he experiences the worst roommates in the history of roommates um You're awful he begins to have a, a, a interest attraction to uh, Dora Diamond, um, played by Amina Savari, um, who is, meanwhile, essentially homeless, mostly because she can't seem to get back home uh, at any point because she keeps <laughs> on missing her train and is also having an affair with an English professor played by Greg Kinnear, who's the worst human being on the planet. Yes. Um, so the... Besides the roommates, like they're all Besides the worst. The roommates, they're all the worst. This is a movie about how all of these men are terrible, except for this one particular guy, which Who's you know not what? from New York, and that's why he's not terrible. <laughs> which you know what? Fine. <laughs> I have thoughts about the the cruelty with which New York is portrayed, um, but I will not start there. So I want to talk about like how terrible Greg Kinnear is and why we hate him. Yes, <laughs> he's the Fair. worst. That's that's really what it comes down to. But yeah, yeah, all, all of these all of these men are like they're not just assholes. They're like aggressively assholeish. They mm -hmm. are attempting to just fuck with people, to hurt people, often for no good reason, right? And to kind of reinforce their their superiority, their smugness, how much better they are than everybody else um and and i think it's one of the problems that i had initially with the film was exactly that that it was the first half of the film feels very mean there's just a lot of meanness going on it's the meanness of the roommates it's the meanness of alcott it's just the 
the kind of casual cruelty that runs through everything. And then as it's the not even goes, casual, it's pretty, pretty aggressively cruel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then as the, the film proceeds, it becomes more about the particularly these two characters finding each other, but also sort of enforcing their own perspectives, their own feelings, like breaking out of romanticism, breaking out of um like the roles that are kind of being forced on them by other people and get gaining backbones and i i actually really enjoyed the film at the end of the day like it isn't perfect there are definitely issues with it i don't think it's as good as as fast times or as um as clueless but it's actually a very enjoyable little romantic comedy yeah i i was telling you this before but um like I remember when this came out and it got really panned and um, I didn't actually know very many people like friends who went and saw it, but the ones that did were like, eh, it's not very good, but I saw it finally. And I was just like, I don't know. I actually think this movie is pretty good. And then I don't think I'd seen it again since then. Maybe one other time I watched it like on TV or something. Um, and so, so when we were talking about what movies to talk about today and I brought it up and, and I was like, yeah, I remember liking it more than other people but when i went to to rewatch it i saw the the rt score i saw the metacritic score and i was like oh maybe i'm misremembering maybe this movie's terrible and then i started watching it and i was like no <laughs> this movie is better than everybody says it is <laughs> like i was correct <laughs> so yeah it is i i mean yeah i i think that i think that you're right i i enjoyed it i enjoyed like it was a fun experience. I actually am not a huge fan of Jason Biggs, but I quite liked him in this. Um, and it's much like uh, the other two films that we talked about. It's very 2000. Yeah. So this is now, by the way, this is moving now more into my realm of experience as a teenager. <laughs> um, I graduated. Uh, I graduated high school in 2004. So this film would have come out right at like literally right at the beginning of my high school experience. This is a film about college, but the music and the clothing and the attitudes are just like, yes, 100%. Oh my God, what was wrong with us? <laughs> um, the Like as soon as they mentioned it, we're going to go see Everclear. It's just like, oh my God. Yeah. No, you're not going to go see Everclear. <laughs> Don't you dare go see Everclear. <laughs> but like the haircuts and the stupid clothing and the leather pants and just there are so many things I'm just like, yes, okay, fine. Yes, I, I definitely wore some things like that in high school. I did. I have pictures. <laughs> I want to um, see those pictures. Uh, I, they're in, probably in my parents' photo album because thank, thank <laughs> Jesus we did not have iPhones yet. <laughs> Sharon, you know what to do. Send me pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god some of those outfits no some of the outfits that like um particularly early on in high school yeah that uh uh dora wears i was just like yep that's 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 about right not the hairstyle but the outfits and that's one of the things i think that is such a hallmark we've talked about this with all three of these movies but i think that's such a hallmark with amy heckerling and working with her her heads of departments, her costume designer, her music coordinators, supervisors, you know, everybody like to really work together to capture like a snapshot of the time period that these, that each movie is being set in. She's very good at that. Yeah, absolutely. That That's, 
And and again, you know, it's it's interesting. I did not think about this film as being a remake of The Apartment, but it is. Yeah. Um, and very very similar. Inspired in a lot by of ways. it, yeah. Yeah, very similar in a lot of ways. But it's again, it's interesting. So that's a film that was made in 1960, and mm-hmm. this is a film that's being made in 2000. And it again, it's that universality that this is very much a 2000 film, like the music, the clothing, the the styles, the makeup, like all kinds of things. One hundred percent the very early cell phones <laughs> the people are yeah. finally beginning to have cell phones but they don't really work right um people still use pay phones in this movie <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> uh and and then at the same time having this universality of like yeah you know i i know i know guys like that all of those guys i've known guys like that you know people like that because there there is that underlying humanity to them and that you know, people don't change that much, really. The clothes change and maybe some of the attitudes change and some of the behavior changes, but underneath we're still people, right? Right. Um, and, and and this one in, in reference to, to what we were talking about with the, the, uh, the inappropriate age relationships, you've actually got a relationship that is legal um she is over age and her professor is uh is also over age but is also re- like painfully inappropriate mm-hmm. and and there there are several points again in this film where i was just like can't just out him just like tell the dean what's happening and get his ass like kicked out of the university because this is ridiculous yeah but that's the thing about dora though is that she so wants to believe that this relationship is real and that he actually cares about her that um she's not she doesn't want to do anything that's going to get him in trouble you know um and and for uh for jason biggs's character i'm blinking on his name right now paul um for him it's like it, it it doesn't it's not about bringing this guy down it's like you know I, he 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 doesn't want to be dragged into this like moral quandary you know it's like just just be a fucking human being like mm-hmm. you know when he goes and has that conversation with the instructor with the teacher and it's just like i'm not trying to blackmail you i just want you to do what's right and i want you to not mess with this person that i really mm-hmm. care about well, and uh yeah and I liked that about his character because at every turn he's got these points where he could kind of fall from grace, as it were, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, he he could manipulate. He could be and, and he, he would be doing it from a good perspective. Right. He would be right. doing the right thing in a certain sense, because like, yeah, this this guy should be kicked out of the university. Um, but he doesn't do it because he cares about this girl. And he cares about who she is and also about what she wants. And I I like the fact that this film, he, in this film, he is very much like, it is about what she wants. And if what she wants is to be with this guy who is terrible and I hate, then mm-hmm. I, I am not going to get in her way as a result of that. I'm going to tell her that I think she's wrong, but I'm not going to stand in her way. I'm not going to tell her like you know, no, you shouldn't go out with this guy or no, you should go out with me. It's just like, all right, I'm going to be your friend then. Yeah. And, and I like that. There's never this sense of like, oh, she's friend zoning him or he's like manipulating things in order to get him, get her to fall in love with him. It's just like, okay, I don't like this, but also that's what you want. (laughs) Yeah. He's accepting her choices. 
-hmm. and just letting it go. And that is what being a friend is. Sometimes it means that you have to just let your friend be with the shitty asshole and just be there for them to pick up the pieces every time that every time that that goes wrong, (laughs) which is not infrequent. Well, and also to stand up for himself, like he does reach a point where he's like, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be part of this anymore. Yeah, I can't be right. Um, If this is what you want to do with your life. Okay. But also you're wrong, but also, okay. Right. Like, I'm not going to make you feel bad about it, but I also, you know, I'll be here where I can, but I I also Mm -hmm. can't just like watch this happen over and over again. But, but also like I'm here (laughs) <laughs> you know like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't ever go away completely you know yeah he doesn't abandon her right. um and even though she's wrong <laughs> yeah she is wrong because she's believing this guy like obviously her her mom is very controlling so being going to school in the city and and everything um you know gives her a little sense of of freedom and and growing up but uh, she's still very, you know, in in a lot of ways, like she, she, you get this sense that intellectual, like she's book smart and she does have the ability to take care of herself. So she's a little bit street smart too, but she's also very naive and just wants to believe, um, believe people when they say they care about her. And that's yeah. why she keeps getting stuck in this, this, you know, hamster wheel with this professor because she wants so much to believe that when he tells her he loves her he actually does Mm -hmm. so it's it's actually i think a a much more interesting and um and well-made film than it has been given credit for so any other thoughts about loser or about amy heckerling and and her body of work i you know i think that she's a director that kind of um gets overlooked and forgotten about like like people love a lot of her movies and she hasn't actually made that many movies but um but the ones that she's made she did look who's talking which is weird but so delightful um and and then these three that we've talked about she did one of the vacation movies like she's she's done an she has an interesting collection of of movies that people really like and talk about but i think they tend to forget that that uh there's like a human woman attached to all these mm-hmm. movies that made them. And they, so I don't think she gets enough credit and, um, and I think she deserves more. And, um, and uh, yeah, if you have, if there, if we've talked about something that you haven't seen, if you haven't seen fast times or clueless or, or loser, please go take care of that because I think you're in for a treat. Cause I think that she has a, a, a perspective with storytelling that, um, you know, I, I, this was something that kind of blew up on Twitter the other day of like someone made a comment about a movie that's out or coming out soon. Um, and, Oh, I would like to have seen this directed by a woman. And the person that made that comment really shouldn't have, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was not the right person to to deliver a message like that. Um, but I think that what you see when you look at, at certain types of movies, like a sexual comedy from the eighties, a high school one from the eighties or you know, a teen high school comedy from the nineties or whatever it is. Um, I think looking at, at this as like, how would these movies have gone differently if a different director had done them, you know? Well, and, a different and, writer too. I mean, she, yeah. she's very much involved in, in writing her own screenplays mm-hmm. and in being involved, I think with fast times, her and Cameron Crowe kind of 
adapted his book. Uh, right. And and I believe she's got a writing credit on Clueless. She's got a writing credit on Loser. Um, I think she has a writing credit on the Look Who's Talking films. It's interesting to talk about all of these films because all of them, particularly the ones in the 80s and 90s, are like, they're seminal films. You know, Clueless mm-hmm. is a generational film. Fast Times is a generational film. Yeah. It, and it's interesting to think about the fact that these are films that are being made by this female director and this female writer. Um because I had no idea that Fast Times was directed by a woman. Like it, it would never have occurred to me. I have known of the film for a very long time, obviously, but it was just like, no, it's an 80s sex comedy. Of course, it's directed by a man. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> right. And well, that's the thing. It's like, I remember, like, I don't know when I first saw it. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember throughout the 80s, it was on TV a lot, obviously heavily edited because in the 80s, they edited everything. But, um, but like the scenes that they would show, the quintessential scenes were like Stoner Spicoli or, you know, Judge Reinhold. And like they didn't really show the girls in the promotional stuff for for the movie very much. It was all focused on the boys. So it was I don't think I realized it was directed by a woman or even focused on girls at all until I actually watched the movie. <laughs> Which is wild to me because, like, the girls are, you know, like the main, especially Stacy, she's like one of the main characters. And yeah, yeah. And uh, so we just, yeah. I think Amy Heckerling is an underrated director. And I say that because of the fact that, like you say, these are quintessential films, but she, as as the the helmer of them, does not get enough credit for what she has given given to film history. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with that. So definitely check out all of these films. Uh, Fast Times is on Netflix. Um, where's Clueless? Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus and, and Loser is also rentable. I don't think it's findable elsewhere. Yeah, I couldn't um, find it anywhere else. I, I rented it. Yeah, all of these films are also rentable. So, you know, for like yeah. two or three dollars. <laughs> so and they're mm-hmm. all worth it. They are especially if you haven't seen them. Like they they are they're all 100 percent worth it. Definitely worth checking out. And uh and of course, and then Amy Heckerling is also behind some of my favorite films, the Look Who's Talking films, which I know are stupid, but also are wonderful. And I they're love so them. great. <laughs> <laughs> they're dumb, but they're and weird, but they're so wonderful. And it's such a weird idea. It's such mm-hmm. a weird idea when you actually go back to it. It's just like, wait a minute, like and and not and big stars too, like John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, but also Bruce Willis. Yeah, is like voicing a Roseanne baby, <laughs> and then Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> in the sequel yes yeah, what is happening <laughs> i think what he's talking yeah. now is like danny devito no um no is yeah danny the dogs De- De- yes yeah, with it's with the dogs danny devito and diane keaton oh my god the dogs oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> so yeah. you know like weird idea but somehow worked and we're very popular <laughs> totally yeah like her movies made made money so yeah so definitely definitely check those out and uh and i think that that's gonna gonna close us out for this week um on our back to school episode that was exciting uh and of course we would like to thank all of our wonderful patrons um who include ali brian connor estefania heather james judy karen cariata lauren matt michelle monty nanina 
Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. Um, if you would like to be one of their number, we are on patreon.com slash citizen name. And we should also have a bonus episode coming up uh, this month. So we're excited about doing that as well. Yes. Um, and you also get fun little things. Again, I keep on repeating this. If you've not received buttons and stickers, please, please, please let me know. Send me your um, US mailing address and I will get those out to you immediately. I think I've got everybody, but one never knows. I'm got really bad at this for a little while <laughs> um we also still have our zazzle store that's zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi account uh ko-fi.com slash citizen dame and you can check out our reviews and editorials and other little things on our website that's citizen and if you want to get in touch with us our email address is citizen at gmail.com we did get a, a an email from shakita who says she's been listening to uh, some of our older episodes and we have changed a great deal over the last, <laughs> where, however many years we've been doing this. Uh, actually, this year is our sixth, or this month is our sixth anniversary. Wow, six years. So, yeah. wow. Yeah, we have changed a lot. We've grown, we've matured. We have all kinds of different perspectives. We're very glad to not be constantly talking about terrible men. Um, yep. Always a good time. It is. And you can also uh, follow us on all of the various socials. We're still on Twitter somewhat, uh, though not as much anymore. Please follow us on other socials if you can. Um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. And we are also on Blue Sky, Citizen Dame Pod at bluesky.social. And oh, we're also on our letterbox. That's at Citizen Dame, where you can find links to all of our episodes, articles, things like that. Definitely follow us on letterbox. If you follow us on Twitter and you don't follow us on the other locations, try to move over to there because Twitter is horrible now. I deleted As, Twitter from my phone. So I, I'm getting very close to deleting my actual Twitter account, which is very hard for me to say because I've had this since 2009 um but yeah it's it's a terrible place yeah so uh and you can follow us individually uh i am still on twitter uh instagram and blue sky and letterbox at lh business and karen where are you i am on all the socials especially letterboxd and instagram but i'm on the other ones too still uh at karen m peterson and I think that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit down dinner. But people came that like did not RSVP. So I was like totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Woo-hoo!